0: Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Welcome back, Imago Day. Uh, AJ Swoboda uh, with you again. It's a joy to be back uh, with you. And if you uh, didn't get the chance to listen to uh, my previous uh, talk on the topic of distraction, uh, both uh, in scripture but also uh, in experience, I would invite you to watch that uh, as we, in the next few moments, are going to listen. Um, We're gonna talk a little bit more about this idea of paying attention um, and prepare ourselves for communion, which we're gonna take in a few moments. I would invite you to just have some context for that. If you you wanna uh, watch that, uh, I invite you to do so. But for our time together uh, today, I I wanna actually push the conversation a bit further, not just from kind of looking down on uh, this kind of culture distraction that we live in, but push even further to, well, then what in the world does it look like uh, to be a person who pays attention, right? As a Christ follower, to actually be able to see what God wants me to see, to be, be able to attend to the things that God wants me to attend to. How do I do that? And in a few moments, I wanna read three uh, little short texts in, the, in, in the, the sacred scriptures that I think give us uh, insights into uh, how we can actually do that. Uh, you may have seen, but recently Netflix uh, came out with their uh, their mission statement. Uh, you know why they exist. Just about every organization has a mission statement. it's wise to have one, clarifies what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, and Netflix now exists, their mission statement is uh, to protect us from boredom. Uh, we now have, you've got it now, you, we've got the organization that keeps us all from getting, uh, from getting bored. And thank God we do, right? Um, wh- how else would we be able to binge watch our favorite shows and, uh, and fall asleep way later than, than we should? Um, in a way, what a sign of the times, right? Uh, we live in an environment where uh, every tiny crack of inactivity, in the words of Andrew Sullivan, every tiny crack of inactivity is now being undone. Uh, we fill everything up with something uh, we now don't even go to the bathroom without checking our texts and our phones I mean we we don't have any spaces anymore um, where there is unattended to activity um, every crack every un- uh, every single uh, tiny crack of inactivity uh, has been um, taken up uh, we have no boredom anymore we don't uh, have space or time for boredom and i want I want to provoke today, uh, the idea that actually something is lost when we no longer have a space uh, to just attend to that which is in front of us. When we are constantly going to and fro that something is is drastically lost. I have a a, a funny friend who uh, for years was a part of a a church tradition that would never, he couldn't eat bacon. And he actually had, it was kind of a cult, this this particular Uh, religious organization, had all sort of really stringent, uh, unfair legalistic rules. And one of them was he couldn't eat bacon. And he's like 45 years old and he has this encounter with Jesus and he becomes a Christian. And he tells this hilarious story of going to uh, a restaurant for the very first time at 45 years old and ordering bacon. He'd never had bacon before. And he orders this bacon. He tells this hilarious story after eating bacon for the very first time. He just says he stood there, sat there with, with bacon in his mouth and one tear just rolled down his face, right? He knew now what he'd been missing his whole life. It, it may, may seem a little silly, silly but I don't, think we, I, don't, I don't think we know what we're missing until we've experienced it. We don't, we don't miss something until we have experienced it. We can't know what we're missing until we experience it. For some of us, we've never experienced how the gospel actually impacts our capacity to pay attention to stuff in our life. Um, even talked in our last... Uh, in my last sermon about how sometimes in the church we go to be distracted, it, we, it becomes this sort of compulsory, uh, compulsory light show, right? And we don't have a place to learn how to stop and pay attention. I think that's why scripture is so important for us. I want to read these three passages in scripture uh, because they offer us, I think, a prophetic vision of how important paying attention is. Uh, the first one is actually in Acts chapter three. Of course, the, the story of Acts chapter three comes to us. Uh, just following uh, the story of Acts chapter two, which is the story of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has fallen now on the church. Uh, and now that that's happened, immediately following the Holy Spirit's descent on the church, uh, falling down, tongues on uh, tongues on their heads, they're, they're now empowered for witness in the world. And the immediate first story after Acts two is Acts three, which is where this happens. One day, Peter and John were to going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Then Peter said to the man, look at us, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give you. And in the name of Jesus, I say, walk. And we remember, of course, he leans down, Peter helps him up, I love that image, he helps him up, and as he helps him up, he's healed. It's a beautiful image actually of justice, of doing mercy in the world. Um, we don't do justice from a distance. You know, the the, the work of healing doesn't happen from a distance. Uh, Peter stoops down to the level of the man in need of help, and he helps him up, and as he's helped up, what a powerful image, as he's helped up, the Holy Spirit heals him, and he's touched, and miraculous. he just leaps for joy. You know, he just dances with joy. Did you notice this? I've always been struck by this. What were Peter's first words out of his mouth to this man? We assume the first thing he says is money, silver gold I don't have. But that's not the first thing he says. What's the first thing that Peter says to the man uh, who was unable to walk? He says, look at us who have been begging. Look at us. Look at us. Now, why in the world would that be important? Why in the world would Peter be interested, have a vested interest in this guy looking at him? And you reflect on the story. Again, this guy had been put there year and year and year after, day after day after day after year. And this guy, his identity was shaped around his brokenness, his woundedness. And no doubt, Peter had seen him before. I mean, when you lived like Peter did, when you when you lived in that world, you'd probably seen this guy. You'd been, been, been begging in the same spot for, for years. And yet this time, Peter sees him. And he pays attention. And he first says, look at us. Now, why in the world say, look at us? I, I, I've i long wondered if Peter said, look at us, because he knew that guy uh, had spent his life not being looked at and not being seen. And Peter needed him to know that at that moment in history, somebody saw him, that he was being seen. And so there's this powerful image here of, of, of a person living into the incarnation, of a person living into the story of Jesus, who has the capacity to see others, Who has the capacity to open their eyes and see the person before them? And of course, you take the story back even further to Acts chapter 2. Why can Peter now see the man that he maybe couldn't see before? Because the Holy Spirit opened his eyes. You see, Jesus did that sort of ministry in his life, didn't he? He opened people's eyes all the time. Jesus is always opening people's eyes. The blind could see, but not just physical eyes, the eyes of the heart. And right here, Peter's eyes are open and he sees a man in need and he stops what he's doing and he helps. I'm deeply convinced from this text and the entire narrative of the Holy Spirit in Scripture that people who have been impacted and birthed by the Spirit are people who have the capacity to see human beings for who they are, made in the image of God, image bearers, and people in need. There is something of the Holy Spirit that allows us to see what God sees. I spent 10 years living in Portland uh, as a church planter, established a church on the east side, a phenomenal community called Theophilus. Uh, Loved my 10 years here. And I always noticed when I left Portland that everybody that talked about Portland always talked about Portland like Portland was this Siberia of ministry, right? This is where God sends people he's really mad at or people that he doesn't wanna know anymore. That Portland's like the place you go to get away from God. And it's easy, to live into the narrative of the world and just assume the the vantage point of the world, to assume uh, what we see, Fox News or ABC News or whatnot, to take on the perspective of, uh, of media rather than the perspective of the Holy Spirit. And what I learned being in Portland is regardless of what you think from the outside, God is at work in this city in powerful ways. And when the Spirit of God indwells you, you can see that stuff. You walk down the street and you see people speaking truth about the importance of equality and mercy and justice. Maybe from the outside it gets looked down upon, but friends, Portland is drenched with God's power. But we need the Spirit to see it and to be able to see people in their need. So I'm struck by that. It's the Spirit of God that opens somebody's eyes. There's another story from the life of Jesus in John chapter 4, proverbially called called the story of the the Samaritan woman. It's a story of an unnamed woman. We don't know what her name is. Um, She was a Samaritan, which meant that she was kind of a half Jew. She was a half uh, Canaanite, essentially half Canaanite and half Israelite. Um, And Jesus comes upon this, uh, this well. He has a conversation with her. Uh, Jesus had to go through Samaria, John chapter four, verse two, verse four. So he came to a town, a town in Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there too. And Jesus, notice this, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. What a human portrayal of Jesus. Uh, this is Jesus God. Don't, 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 don't miss, this is the divine Jesus. But what a very human image. Tired as he was from the journey. Jesus sat down by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. We keep reading, this woman comes to the the well. Jesus has this dialogue with her, this fascinating dialogue about her sex life and her husband's and uh, what what mountain we worship on. This really interesting conversation. And this woman has an encounter with God and eventually goes to be a missionary in her hometown. For John's, the, the very first missionary portrayed in the Gospel of John is this woman. I mean, this whole story of of this woman who encounters God is set up by one thing. This was pointed out to me uh, in a a book a a few years ago that I read on the Gospel of John, that this whole story is set up by one thing. It is set up by the fact (laughs) that Jesus sat down. He sat down and he looked. The whole story of the first missionary in John's Gospel is set up by Jesus simply sitting and watching, paying attention. I'm a big believer in the principle of Sabbath keeping, of resting, right? And I actually believe in Sabbath because I think in a lot of ways, it's one of the church's greatest evangelism tools. It's because by stopping, we can actually begin to see people in our neighborhood. We can actually see people in our family. We can see the people that we should be seeing. Jesus stopped and looked. He didn't rush off. He stopped. He paid attention. He looked. The entire story of the first missionary, John, is set up by Jesus having the capacity to stop and look. And because he did, he saw a woman in need. And he enters into the spiritual dialogue with her. She's transformed. You know, it's interesting. What does the scripture say about Jesus right now? Where is Jesus right now? You know, what's he doing right now? Um, in scripture, early church tradition, history of the church would say Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's seated. He's sitting down. Uh, it would be wrong to say that that is Jesus being passive. It is wrong to say that is Jesus uh, not being involved. That he's just watching everything fall apart. How, when you look at the story of Jesus in Scripture, every time he sits down, it's because he's looking. He's paying attention. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, not because he's aloof or distant or apathetic. He's watching, he's paying attention. God gives his attention to this world. He attends to it. And the the third story that strikes me is actually in the book of Exodus. It's the story of Moses. And a a story that no doubt is is perhaps familiar to many of us who've um, uh, been reading scripture for years or or, uh, have come to faith and and read uh, the earlier chapters of the Bible. Uh, But in Exodus chapter three, you have this story uh, that you and I would call the the story of the the, the burning bush. Uh, In Moses, uh, the story of Moses, Exodus three. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. The Lord says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. And there he said, I am God, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. What an encounter with God! Moses talks to this burning bush, and it's God. It's God. You know, I don't know if you've ever talked to a burning bush. Uh, the closest I've ever come is watching Three Amigos, the the, sin, the singing bush. You may remember uh, the 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 three characters come across this, uh, this this bush that sings all these songs. But that, what an odd experience to talk to this burning bush, and it turns out to be God. You know, um, when you, even when you look at this. Uh, this this narrative, there's some fascinating little insights. Uh, at the very beginning of the story, the text says that it's actually an angel of the Lord, a messenger from God. Uh, but then immediately you see that it, it shifts, the language goes to, and then the Lord was speaking. Uh, theologians, Bible scholars, this seems to be a picture uh, of, of, of the messenger being the message, right? The, I think this is a picture of Jesus, that the message, uh, if it's not Jesus himself, Christ incarnate, uh, This is an image of the messenger of God who is the message of God. And what does God reveal to Moses? The most important thing that God reveals to Moses here is not direction on Moses' life, not direction on the world, not uh, some brilliant information on some social conversation. The most important thing that God reveals to Moses is the name of God. Elie, Asher, Elie, I am who I am. I am who I am. Now the fact that God reveals his name may seem insignificant to most of us in the contemporary uh, context. But in the ancient world, that was a big deal. In the ancient world, the gods were very reticent to reveal their names. You may actually remember in the book of Acts, there's a story where Paul goes to a city and he sees the statue and it says, to an unknown God. And that's because in the ancient world, the gods were unknown because to know the name of God uh, was to be able to have power with that God, to be able to call on that God. And you see this, this fascinating story that Genesis 1, Elie, Asher, Elie, this the very first name of God, Elohim, in Genesis 1, that God doesn't get through one verse without beginning with his name. God gives us his name. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the Genesis chapter 2, we get God's personal name, Yahweh. And here, I am who I am. This is a God who gives us his name. The book of Acts says, there is no name under heaven by which someone can be saved under the name of Jesus. God gives us a name. And the fact that God gives us a name speaks to the fact that God is not interested in us having a generic knowledge of God. God wants us to know him and to have power with him, to be able to call on him, to be able to call on him by name, not in a generic sense, but to be able to call on him. And in the Jewish history, in the history of the Bible, this story of God revealing his name is such a critical moment. It transforms Moses's life. Moses from this moment is gonna go on and redeem Israel because he knows the name of God. He's gonna bring them out of Egypt by the hand of God. Now, here's the question I have. Why Moses? Of all the people, why would God speak to Moses? When you read the rabbis, who've been kicking this text around for thousands of years, uh, and wrestling with it, prodding this text, um, there's 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 kind of grown this rabbinic uh, consensus uh, that Moses was actually not the first person that God spoke to in the burning bush. Um, mo- most of the rabbis would actually say that, m- that Moses, he was not the first person to walk by the burning bush. Moses was just the first one who was willing to stop and talk to him. And that God maybe had actually been speaking for a long time, just nobody had the guts to stop. And pay attention. You you know, I I hear I hear people say, "You know, why is God so silent right now? Where is God?" And I I think God is silent sometimes. Uh, the 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 Latin's called it the the theology of God's um, absconditus, this idea of the the silence of God, the quietness of God. I think God can be quiet, but I don't know if the issue is that God is always quiet. I think sometimes we just walk by. I think sometimes, you know, I've often wondered if Moses had an iPhone, I don't know if this story would have happened. I don't know if he would have had the capacity to stop and see. He would have been so distracted coming to and fro, he would have have just kept going. I, I, I invite you, you know, we're doing these, these uh, th- these sermons on- online. I'll be-, I'll be honest, it's really hard to preach in front of a video camera because I love having amens in the room. And there's there's not a lot of people in this room who can amen what I'm saying right now. I really miss the amens. Um, so you've got a computer in front of you. When we're done, watch, uh, just YouTube, uh, Joshua Bell Subway. Joshua Bell Subway. Uh, Joshua Bell is considered widely considered the most important violinist in the world. He's a savant. Absolute savant, miracle of a violinist. And the Washington Post did this fascinating uh, uh, exploration one. They, once. They put him down uh, in a subway system in Washington, DC with a bunch of these cameras set up and watched what happens when the world's greatest violinist plays in the subway system, in a busy, crowded subway system. And guess what happens? For hours, what do people do? They just walk by and they don't see him for hours. And I watched that video. I mean, this, this is the greatest violinist in the world and nobody could see him because they were too busy. I can't help but be drawn to the story of Moses, the story of Jesus at the, Jesus at the well, the story, of Peter. I cannot be helped. I can't help but wonder how many people walked by Jesus and had no idea who they were walking by. Why? Because they were too busy. They didn't know how to sit and look. You know, it's interesting. um, The the text of Exodus actually tells us uh, what Moses' job was. Remember what it was? Verse one, uh, Moses' job was tending flocks. That's what his job was. He tended flocks. And that verb, tend, is actually used throughout Scripture, the, the Old Testament. And the idea of tending is that you give your attention to something over a long period of time. And the Bible's full of these people. Jacob tended Laban's flocks, Joseph tended the flocks of Egypt, David tended flocks, Uh, Aaron tended the lamps in the tabernacle, Moses tended, and it was even the sheep, the shepherds who were tending the, the fields before they encountered Jesus. I am astounded how many people in the Bible, right before their encounter with God, tended something. It is almost like the way they were living their life set them up to encounter God. I would invite you to consider that one of the ways that you can practice the presence of God is to cultivate attention, to tend, to pay attention to people, the task in front of you, that thing God has called you to. And by tending to that thing, if you can tend to flocks of sheep, you can tend and attend to the Lord. When I was a little kid, uh, one of my favorite things to do was to go to Disneyland with my dad. My dad was a doctor, highly driven, phenomenal doctor. But I go to Disneyland with my dad. And one thing I remember about Disneyland that I loved is that my dad, um, I had him to myself. It was just him and I. And I went to Disneyland this last year because back then they didn't have a way to get a hold of him. Um, I went to Disneyland a few years ago with my son. I was standing in line at Mr. Toad's wild ride and I watched as this little boy was reaching up and pulling on his dad's shirt for nearly a minute to get his attention. And what did his dad do? He didn't see his son. He was answering emails. And my heart broke. My heart broke because we're training young people to, to not be seen. We're training people to not be seen. I invite you What would it look like to pay attention the way Jesus did, the way Peter did, the way Moses did, and to begin to see the things that God wants you to see? As we go into communion together and celebrating the Eucharist, would you know that Christ sees you? He's paying attention to you, he sits at the throne, he's watching you. Grace and peace.